strongly about the word that the Lord has laid on my heart. Uh, we have been in a series for the last six weeks called Win the Day. Seven daily habits to help you stress less and accomplish more. We've explored six of those. Flip the script, kiss the wave, eat the frog, fly the kite, cut the rope, wind the clock. Well, that sounds like Dr. Seuss. I don't have time to cover all of that, but go back, re-watch, listen Download our app. Make sure that you're connected to that. People are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I've been around good church my whole life, and I'm glad we have good church. But until we get the discipline to apply biblical principles to our life, we'll never make it to the next level. So we're going to get in our text and look at the seventh habit of win the day. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Then I'm going to turn to one more verse after that, Psalms 126 and 1. Usually I give a prelude to my text. I will not do that tonight because I want to get to it and preach on it a little while. And I don't want to be too long, hour and a half. We'll be out of here. I told Pastor Josh Malonson he's not invited to preach for us no more. We don't believe in 25-minute messages around here. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. He didn't say he heard a sound. He said there is a sound. He heard something in his spirit that he couldn't hear with his natural ear. So he made a statement based on the word of God. There is a sound of abundance of rain. Psalms 126 and 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. When the Lord turned the captivity, the psalmist said, we started dreaming again. Our world's only hope is if the church can still dream Believe and pray bold prayers of faith. It's the will of God for the church not to be reactive, but proactive to what's going on in our world today. The Bible says we have the keys to what? Open up the heavens, to bind and to loose and to prophesy. Can I tell you today it's time for us to wake up? Start making a difference in the world around us. Some of you's got a voice. You need to use it. Prophesy. Speak life, not death. So I'm going to talk to you for a little while tonight on this topic. Seed the clouds. Seed the clouds. Got me some seeds up here. I'm ready. They said every bad sermon has a good prop. So brought me a prop. So let's go to him in prayer. God, I need your anointing today. God, I feel led not just to preach, but to prophesy. 
want to teach a little bit, God. I want to do what you've, you've called me to do tonight. I feel like I've got a word for heaven, God, from heaven. I locked up this morning. I heard your voice. Help me to deliver it to these great people. We ask it to be done in the name that's above every other name. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord one more hand clap and you may be seated tonight. On November the 13th, 1946, a plane took off from a county airport in New York with a rather unique payload, six pounds of dry ice. His mission, or its mission, to seed the clouds with solidified carbon dioxide in hopes of creating enough condensation to cause precipitation. For many months prior to that flight, a chemist named Vincent Schaefer had been conducting clandestine experiments at General Electric Research Laboratory, the House of Magic. Using a GE freezer chilled to sub-zero temperatures, Schaefer created clouds using his breath and seeded them with different chemical substances. After many failed attempts on a hot July day, Schaefer added some dry ice to his freezer, and that dry ice caused a chemical reaction and catalyzed some crystals. A few months later, it was time for a field test, and upon takeoff, Schaefer flew his single propeller plane into a cumulus cloud, into a cumulus cloud, and dumped the dry ice. Eyewitnesses on the ground said that the cloud seemed to explode, and the ensuing snowfall was visible for 40 miles. The GE monogram had a little fun with Schaefer's breakthrough, and this is what they said. Schaefer made it snow this afternoon over Pittsfield. Next week, he walks on water. The science of seeding clouds may be a modern-day marvel, but the idea is as old as the prophet Elijah. Let me set the scene of 1 Kings 18. King Ahab, who is the king in our text, would go down as the most wicked king in the history of Israel. And to make matters worse, he marries a woman by the name of Jezebel, whose name has become synonymous with evil. Jezebel was a Sidonian, a country up north where they worship Baal. So when King Ahab married Jezebel, not only did he take on a new wife, but also he adopted her system of worship and introduced an entire nation to Baal. Idolatry was introduced, but God had a match for them. God said, I got you, King Ahab. You got wickedness. You married a wicked woman. You've introduced idolatry. You've introduced pagan worship uh, uh, to a fake God by the name of Baal. But I've got somebody for you. I've got your match. And it's a man by the name of Elijah, a Tishbite from Gilead. Everyone else was bowing to the culture of Jezebel, but not Elijah. His name means Yahweh is my God. He was marching to the beat of a different drum. And I think it's safe to say that God is looking for some Elijahs in 2022. Too many people are bowing down to this culture. There needs to be some Elijahs that stand against this culture and said, I belong to somebody different than the, the foreign gods of this culture. I don't belong to idolatry. I belong to Jehovah. I belong to Yahweh. I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There needs to be some Elijahs among us. 1 Peter 2 and 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We're not special because of who we are. We are special because to the one to whom we belong. 
that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, we are to serve as an advertising agency, sharing the message of his love. Now, you got to get this, and his holiness. Oh, somebody, some of y'all got nervous. I started saying holiness. 1 Peter 1 and 16, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Indeed, God is holy, which means separate or set apart. He is distinct from his creation, unstained by sin, and is the standard of righteousness. Holiness is central to who God is. Never in the Bible are you going to find somebody crying out, love, love, love. Sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. But turn to the book of Revelations and you'll find angelic beings crying out, holy, holy, holy. Therefore, his love is a holy love. His sovereignty is a holy sovereignty. God's perfect holiness is at the heart of all his other attributes. And he calls his people to pursue holiness by seeking to please him in every area of their life. Dress. Modesty is biblical. Separation is biblical. Godly relationships is biblical. Healthy media, ignoring sinful media is biblical. The eyes are the window to the soul. Our ears are what produces faith. We've got to guard our eyes and our ears so that our soul will be healthy and our faith will be strong. Social media. Oh, we getting on it. Ask yourself this. Could people tell you're a Christian by your social media? They know who you represent? Are you an Elijah on your social media? Conversation. Oh, people, y'all were shouting on the dress and the modesty and the separation. Some of you are so holy outwardly, but your mouth and your words are not holy at all. Conversation. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. I know people that have an outward form of holiness, but they're so toxic that when you talk to them, you don't, you don't want that holiness that they have. Also, holiness is about where we find rest and joy and peace, where we find our identity. What about what we put in our body? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? It doesn't even belong to you. See, people are nervous when we mention holiness. Why? Because it's been defined the wrong way. I feel like the church has missed it. We presented holiness as a schoolmaster with a disciplinary ruler. Instead of a king who invites us with love to be a part of a better kingdom with unlimited benefits. And many are trying to be holy to get the approval of the teacher instead of pleasing the king. If you're trying to be holy to please me, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But if you're being holy to get the attention of the king and you want to be a part of his kingdom and you want to be an Elijah, you want to be separate from what's going on in this world, then you've got a grip on what holiness really is. Because holiness without relationship will lead to frustration and rebellion. However, holiness with a relationship with God will lead to joy, peace, and divine purpose. Listen, if the Ten Commandments would have been enough to keep us right and holy, there would have never been a reason for Jesus to show up. But that schoolmaster of the Old Testament, those Ten Commandments did good given a structure. 
But I love that it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen, the Ten Commandments is great. Hebrews 13, obey those that's got rule over you. Submit yourself to them for they watch for your soul. Hey, Moses drew a line around the mountain. God never told him where to draw it. He said, just draw a line around the mountain. If they touch it, they're going to die. And 3,000 people died because they disobeyed the authority that God had given the man of God. I'm not taken away from Hebrews 13 or biblical context. I'm not taken away from authority. And I'm not taken away from lines of, 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 of rules of separation. I'm not taken away from any of that. But here it is. Abiding in him is the most powerful form of holiness that you can have in your life. Knowing the Savior as your personal Savior. And if I understand what he's done for me, I will desire to please him. Meaning I will ask what he thinks before I do anything, watch anything, look at anything, wear anything, partake of anything. What does the king think? Is this going to please you today? Is it going to please you today? Listen, the law of spiritual deterioration. There's two things that causes spiritual deterioration. Number one, we pollute the Word of God. Meaning that we mingle our ideas and we fail to develop biblical convictions. The second thing is we silence our conscience by constantly ignoring it. We're on our way home from vacation last week. On our way home, 10-hour drive. Got my headphones in. Been with the family all week. I didn't need to be with them for nine more hours. I'm in my own world. I got my podcast and my preaching and my Bible. You know, we've been on vacation. I got to get back in spiritual mode. I got to get, I got to get ready to, to get in the pulpit Wednesday. I got, I got to get ready. All of a sudden, London says, Mom, Brantley ate all my cotton candy. Now, listen, I know what you're thinking right now. It's not that big of a deal. It's not. You get more cotton candy. My blood started boiling. Because Brantley had his own cotton candy. But he was too lazy to reach in the back of the car and get it. So when his sister wasn't looking, he stole her cotton candy and ate every piece. Headphones come out of my ears. That silverback gorilla showed up. And I said, son, when you picked up her cotton candy when she wasn't looking, did something tell you I should not do this? It's going to get me in trouble. Yes, sir. So you ignored your God-given conscience. You stole her cotton candy and you ate it even though the very compass that God gave you to steer you in the right direction was urging you to do the right thing. I said, son, this is where it starts. Robin Banks is next, buddy. I mean, this is where it starts. I said, bro, if you can't say no to just taking and stealing and eating cotton candy, when peer pressure shows up, how are you going to say no to drugs? 
How are you going to say no to alcohol? How are you going to say no to sin and iniquity if you can't even say no? Well, pastor, you're going extreme. No, I'm not. Is I'm trying to tell you we've lost our conviction over the small things. And the small foxes are spoiling the vine. And people are spiritually dried up because they don't have any word in their life. And they don't have any conviction in their life. And they don't listen to their conscience. And they... Go steal some cotton candy. I said, son, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. If you want to know how spiritually healthy you are, ask yourself this question. Did it hurt my heart when I hurt his heart? <laughs> Can I still feel conviction in my conscience telling me not to do it? Hebrews 12 and 14, strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We do not strive after positional sanctification. Once we get the Holy Ghost and we're born again, we're positioned as a son and a daughter of God. And we do not strive after the perfect sanctification that will be ours when we see him face to face. You'll never be perfect. Stop trying to be perfect. You'll never strive for holiness. But don't strive for perfection. Watch this. But practical or progressive sanctification. Is something that involves our obedience and cooperation. We must cultivate this holiness continually. In other words, I must keep striving for spiritual development every day in the presence of the king. God, help me to have conviction in my life. Let me listen to my conscience. What does your word say, God? Let me measure my life by these guidelines. And I'm nervous that the church has tried to make people feel so comfortable in their skin that many have become comfortable in their sin. Sin is not okay. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be laid on an altar. God expects his kingdom kids to look like him. And since he is holy, we are to be holy. Non-Christians should be viewing you as a little strange because you're seeking to conform to God's standards and not the world's. This rugged, rough, dressing prophet waltzed into Ahab's court seemingly out of nowhere with a message from the Lord. And Elijah appeared at Ahab's court and boldly announced in God's authority that there would be no dew nor rain whatsoever except as he commanded. This was a direct attack at Baal, a fertility God. His worshipers depended on him to provide rain to ensure good crops. God controlled the skies. So in our text, there in the middle of a three and a half year drought, the land was parched. All the pastures turned to dust. The livestock was perishing. And the people were ready to die through famine and hunger. There seemed to be no hope. The clouds had long ago vanished. The past was empty. Children up to three years of age had never experienced a drop of rain. There was no clouds in sight for the future. Instead, the skies seemed to be as brass above. However, God teaches us a valuable lesson in these conditions. Things can never be so bad that God can't step in the middle of it and bring deliverance. It can never be so hopeless that God can't step in the middle of it and bring hope to a hopeless situation. He just needed someone to stand up, push back against the idolatry, perversion, and wickedness of that day and say, I've got a word from the Lord. It is going to rain again. God is going to revive the land. There is going to be revival. There's going to be breakthrough. Let me ask you a question. 
Can God trust us with a word of restoration and rejuvenation when we're standing in the middle of a drought? When we're going through this season to where we're trying to figure everything out, can you still hold on to a word from God? Elijah was that individual. He was a man skilled in the art of prayer he, who altered the course of nature, impacted a nation's economy, prayed, the skies were closed, and fire fell. So God sends Elijah back to the wicked King Ahab to announce that he was going to send rain. And the first way to see the clouds is with prophetic imagination. This is acting in faith. Everybody say acting in faith. Don't tell me that you have faith if you have no action. Wave your hand, Sister Barksdale. Stand up. I don't want to embarrass you. That's Sister Barksdale. Her son, Eric Barksdale, was lost for a long time. She said, you know what? I've been praying for my boy. But I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to have prophetic imagination, which is faith. She brings his clothes and puts them on that chair. His jeans, his shirt, his shoes, his belt. Like he was sitting there. And those clothes just sat there for however long. Eric got in a four-wheeler wreck, right? Should have died from it. But he had a praying mama who already acted in her faith that her belt, her boy one day was going to be sitting right beside her. And can I give you the news? Eric showed up one day, walked down to an altar, fell on his face, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. When Eric passed away, he was Holy Ghost filled and Jesus name baptized because the mama said, I've got faith. I'm going to see the clouds. I'm going to see the clouds. I'm going to see the clouds. You've got to act in faith. Acting in faith is buying a baby bed. And the doctor told you, you can't have no baby. And if you don't have a baby, tell your husband to sleep in it when, he gets, when you get mad at him. It's paying your tithes and offering on a salary that you know God has in store for you. I'm talking about acting in faith. It's preaching in an empty home. You don't even know this. I'd come into this building and I would preach when nobody was here and I would record myself. And then I would say, ain't nobody ever getting this tape. Delete. Is preaching because I'm called to preach. Worshiping like the prodigal has already come back home. Before there is ever a fulfilled prophecy, there's always first an expectation of that prophecy. It's somebody saying, I can just sense it in my spirit that something is getting ready to happen. I can just sense it. I know it doesn't look like it, but I can just sense that something is getting ready to happen. So I'm going to see the clouds. 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 Listen, Bill, my river has been absolutely terrible. Preacher, you ain't supposed to say that. You're supposed to be positive. It's been terrible. Two years ago, I got in front of you and said, give me some more money. We're going to build a church. That was two years ago. Hurricane Ida messed everything up. We're trying to get back on track. We get to January. Contractor calls me. said there's a 30% increase. God, either you spoke to me or Satan got me. God said, no, no, I got you. I got you. I got you. Two weeks ago, I've been, I've been dealing with all of this, trying to figure it out, trying to proceed in the cloud. We building my river. Hey, good news is they're putting air conditioners in tomorrow. That's the good news. So we're, build, we're building my river. We're going to be at a C600. We're going to be at a park. But Jeremy, come out there and put some, put some limestone and made it look all pretty. And 
We're going to be able to see. I got, I got to make room for the miracle. I've got to see the clouds. It don't make no sense. We're in economic crisis. I got to see the clouds. I, just, I hear something. Nobody else here. They call me crazy. But I just hear something that nobody else. I've got faith. I've got a prophetic imagination. So two weeks ago, my phone rings. It's Keith Austin, which is Sister Spikes' his brother-in-law, Aunt Joan's husband. I said, what is Keith Austin calling? He don't ever call me. I mean, we're not, he must not like me that much. I ain't heard from him in years. But he calls me. So finally, I'm like, man, something, somebody done died. My Lord, God. Hello. It's me. He said, man, I got a word for you. I said, you got, when would you become a prophet? I thought you was a cowboy. You a prophet now. Hey, let's go. Cowboy up. Get away, my nose is getting dangerous. He said, man, we was at church in Indian Village, and he said the prophet was there, Jerome Bourne, and he was preaching. And he said that Jerome Bourne went out of his way to find your ain't John. And when he got to your ain't John, and you got to know something about Jerome Bourne. you got to know why this means something. Come here, Brantley, right quick. Come, Just come stand up here. You're still in my house under my authority. Get up here, right here. Hey, when y'all come get these sunflower seeds, don't step on them. Terrible analogy. I'm standing right there on this side of the church. Come on over here so, so you, can, you can get the full experience. Come on. Hurry up, bud. I got 10 minutes left. Hurry up. So I was standing right here. Brother Jerome Bowen was here preaching, right? Powerful, powerful man of God. He stops in the middle of his preaching. He looks at me. We had London at this time. He looks at me. He says, God's going to give you one request. What do you want now? I should have said a million dollars, but I didn't. Instead, I want a son. (laughs) Prophetic imagination. I don't know how long later it was. Brantley showed up, and and here we are. Said a million dollars. I got you, bud, and I'm happy with it. Listen, and, and the enemy has fought that word, epilepsy, sickness. My buddy, he went through a season where he couldn't get healthy. The enemy has fought that word, but it's a word from God, so the enemy can't touch you, son, so we're all right. Let you get a word, the enemy will try to take it from you, but you got to let him know that's my word. I've got a word of pride. That's my word. You can't have my word. God gave it to me. You can't have it. So me and Jerome Bourne, we got this connection. I ain't seen him in, in 12 years. Man, he was older when he came here, but he's still rolling. So he goes to Angel and he said, how's, how's, how's Little River? She said, it's doing good. How's your son-in-law? He, he's doing good. He, he's doing good. You know, church is doing good. They're expanding. She didn't tell him nothing about our troubles. And that prophet looked at Angel and said, you call him immediately and you tell him. That God is getting ready to take him into a season of abundance. <laughs> build my river. Build my river. That's why we build my river. God just needed another. I need a reminder that you're still God. I needed a reminder, God. I needed a reminder that you got everything under control. See them clouds. Somebody's got to let the enemy know I got a word. It hadn't looked how you want it to look, but I've got a word. I've got a word. I've got a word. Listen, and I'm hurrying and I'm going to be done. There's nothing God loves more than keeping his promises. 
But you got to get a you got to get a sense of urgency down in your spirit that God's got a word. The second way you see the clouds is you pray bold prayers. I'm not talking about, Lord, thank you for my food, help it to be nourishment to my body. That's not bold prayers. I'm talking about praying specifically that God's getting ready to do something and believing like God is getting ready to do it. Listen, all over this building, all over this building, right now, all over this building is demons and angels. There's a spiritual rim all around us right now. And you got to understand that God created man to govern the earth. So he will not intervene on any earthly affair without our permission. So when I pray, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm taking my focus off the natural and I'm putting it in the supernatural. And I'm telling God, hey, I've got a situation that I need you and your angels to get right in the middle of. Daniel prayed. It took 21 days for that angel to get to him. Because when he prayed, the prince of Persia tried to hold that angel back. But every day that Daniel prayed gave that angel the strength that it needed to break loose of the demonic spirit of Persia. If you keep praying, you're going to break angels loose in your life. If you keep praying, I got a word. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to release the power of prayer. I hear something different. Something's happening. Elijah hears something that no one else can hear. He's got a word, and Elijah goes, and he tells Ahab, he said, it's going to rain. And the Bible says that Ahab goes down to drink and party. Elijah goes up to the top of the mount to pray. Ahab went to play. Elijah went to pray. Because when you get a word from God, if you, if you go play, that word will never be fulfilled. But if you find a place and pray, you've got every day you've got to choose. Am I going to be an Ahab or am I going to be an Elijah? I'm going to pray. I'm going to touch heaven. I'm going to get out of my natural ability. I'm going to pray in the spirit. Paul said, I pray with understanding, but also pray in the spirit. We've got to be willing to pray. We've got to be willing willing to get outside of ourselves and all natural ability and pray bold prayers. That is beyond our resources, beyond our imagination. It's the effectual, fervent prayer that we've got to be willing to tap into. Got to have prophetic imagination. You got to pray bold prayers. And my last point is you got to have patient persistence. You've got to be willing to hold on. Because can you imagine Elijah tells his servant, he says, look, there's a, there's a, there's a sound of an abundance of rain. Go out and look and come back and report to me if you see anything. That servant comes back and says, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. Can you hold on to a seed when you keep hearing that there's nothing? There's no sign of deliverance. There's no sign of victory. There's no sign of miracles. There's no sign of blessings. There's no sign of favor. There's no sign of breakthrough. There's nothing. I know what I sense in my spirit, but can you hold on long enough? The Bible says that Elijah is a man like passions, like we. He feels the same way that we feel. Can you imagine he sends that servant out and he comes back? There's nothing prophet. Go out again. He goes out again. He comes back. There's nothing prophet. The sixth time, that prophet's got to be thinking like I felt. Did I miss it? But see, that, that number seven is significant because the word says it's a number of completion. And though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Seven is a number of perfection and completion. 
So it's used literally and figuratively. Either way, there's so many sevens. Abraham bows to the ground seven times in Genesis 33. The priest consecrate the altar by sprinkling it seven times in Leviticus. The word of the Lord is like silver refined seven times in Psalms 12. Jesus ups the ante and tells us to forgive seven times. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. But I want to focus on three incidents, and I'm done. Musicians, you can get ready. The Israelites circled Jericho once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, seven times. Naaman dips himself in the Jordan River seven times in 2 Kings 4. And, of course, Elijah prays for rain seven times in 1 Kings 18. Let me ask you a question. What if the Israelites had stopped circling after the sixth time? What if Naaman stopped dipping at number six? What if Elijah quit praying after his sixth attempt? You know what the answer is? They would have forfeited their miracle because they gave up a little too soon. Consistency beats intensity seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Is it that Dottie Rambo song? I don't know nothing about Dottie Rambo, but I threw that in there. Trying to make a hundred. Ninety-nine and a half won't do. See the Dolly Partner, Dottie Rambo, it's one of them. And God is sitting me here to tell somebody, it's too soon for you to quit. And it's too soon for you to give up. And it came to pass at the seventh time that servant said, Prophet, it's not much, but there's a little cloud out, out of the sea. It's like, a, it's like a man's hand. Stop right there. A little cloud like a man's hand. It's just little. It's, it ain't much to it. It's a little hand. But watch this. That old prophet, he got so excited about a little cloud the size of a man's hand. Because it doesn't take a whole lot for people with a word from God to get excited and to get their faith activated. You know what he told that servant? He said, hey, I know you see only a cloud, but go tell Ahab. It's getting ready to be a downpour. It's not, it's not what it looks like. It's more than what it looks like. And he says, go tell Ahab to hitch up his chariot and get down off this mountain. The rain is on its way. Verse 45, and it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And I feel led to end this with prophesying to somebody right now. You need to get ready. You've heard there's nothing over and over and over again. You've heard there's no hope. You've heard there's no money. You've heard there's no way. You've heard there's no love. You've heard there's no chance. You've heard there's no change. You've heard there's nothing left. There's nothing we can do. And those words are meant to make you quit and signify the end. But I've showed up on a Wednesday night to tell somebody. You get you a word and you don't let go of it. Because with God, nothing is not just nothing. He can pull something out of your nothing.
as we stand, a man named Isaac was dwelling in a land stricken with famine. That means there was no rain, there was severe drought, there was no crops, it was a desolate place, horrible conditions. And he tells God, he says, I think I need to go to another place, and I think I need to go and, and cast seed there in that ground. Better condition, better environment, better weather, better ground. But God said, no, you stay here and sow your seed here where there's nothing. No doubt, no doubt they criticized Isaac and they ridiculed him. Why is he sowing in a famine-stricken land? But Isaac said, I've got a word from the Lord that where there is nothing is going to bring forth something. And watch this. Isaac said, man, I, I don't know. It don't look good. I don't know. And he kept sowing. Go read it. The word says in that same year he reaped a hundredfold in the same place that people were telling him, you're out of your mind. Why are you praying like that? Why are you worshiping like that? Why are you showing up every week? Why are you still trying to, to pursue what God has? I just know I've got a word and a hundredfold. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I've come to tell someone God is getting ready to bring abundance out of what looked like nothing. You got to keep seeding the clouds. There's getting ready to be, oh, I feel, I'm telling you, I feel an unction in this place. There's getting ready to be a suddenly in your life. You thought the miracle was far off, but I feel, I feel prophecy in this place to tell somebody that it's closer than what you could ever imagine closer. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. Your prayers are working. Your sowing is working. Your sacrifice is working. Your obedience is working. Something is getting ready to happen in your marriage, in your family, in your ministry, on your job. You just got to keep sowing. You got to get a word and not let go. It's a sunflower seed, Brother Ralph. That's all it is. Oh, you, you going to sow at Revive Thursday? <laughs> Ralph, they probably told you, man, why is he fooling with them, the drug addicts? They ain't no hope. Why is he sowing in that land every Thursday night? Professor Ralph been in Pentecost his whole life but all of a sudden he found a field and he said if I could put a little seed in that field and every Thursday night there's a hundred people that says you know what there's a harvest here Brother Ralph let me prophesy to you I know we've been in that student center and I know you've had 90 a few Thursday nights but Revive is going to be so big you hear me you hear me right now Revive is going to be so big that we'll fill this 600-seat auditorium up with people that others have given up on, with people that others said, oh, they, they're just, they just going to go back to their drugs. There, there's no, Brother Ralph, no. You sow that seed, Brother Ralph. You sow that seed, Brother Ralph. You... Come on, somebody's got to get a word today. You've been tired and weary, but God has sent me to tell you, keep sowing in the land.
Anybody else want a word from the Lord today? God, probably over a year ago, God started giving you seeds of hope. Listen, listen. And the enemy has done everything, Tiny, to take those seeds. This sickness in your body, I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you what I feel right now is a distraction. And whatever it is, I believe that God's getting ready to heal you. I don't know if he's going to use the doctors. I don't know what he's going to use, but I'm telling you, your best days are in front of you and not behind you. God's going to use you greater. I'm speaking healing right now. God, I'm throwing out a seed right now. God, I've got prophetic imagination, and I'm praying. Healing in his body right now. God, I'll take authority. God, I'll take dominion right now.